Second right, Corinthians 11, I'm going to go ahead and just finish up this uh, lesson on the King James Only Other Gospels. Second Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4, and then I also want to remind us again of the wording, verses 13 through 15, and, and I, I'm leading into this, kind of tie a couple uh, things together here this afternoon. Notice it says, Second uh, Corinthians 11, verse 1, uh, Would to God ye could bear with me a little of my folly. And indeed, bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste or pure virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if ye, for, I'm sorry, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye re, uh, welcome or receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Notice verse 13. Talking about when verse 12 gives us the context, but what I do that I will do that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that, were, uh, that wherein they glory or they boast, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I want you to see something here in a familiar passage, Genesis chapter 3. What I want to emphasize here, and again, I'm tying a couple things here uh, together this afternoon. And I'll explain that here in a moment. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, I want you to notice something here. And, and what I want you to see is that false religions will teach knowledge. The Bible teaches wisdom. It's very important for you to catch this. I want you to notice this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is something that Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is why I want you to see this. Now, the serpent was more subtle. There's that word than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, all right, so again, calling doubt upon God's words, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Outright denial of God's words. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Notice this statement. Knowing good and evil. Satan, as an angel of light, emphasizes knowledge, but not scripture. It's very important for us to understand this. I'm not saying they will not necessarily quote scripture out of its context, pull a verse out of its context, or even use a statement out of Scripture. For example, the Mormons, teaching the necessity of being baptized for the dead. They pull one verse out of 1 Corinthians 15 and make that a doctrine. You need to be baptized for those who have died outside of Mormonism. That is heresy. That is false teaching. Again, you think about the reality of this. Knowing good and evil. What's very interesting is in the first century of Christianity, there was a false teaching called Gnosticism. G-N-O-S-T, Gnosticism. In the first century, they, they would speak of their hidden knowledge. And what I think is very interesting, in light of that concept, 
Darby and, and all of them basically taught, and, and I've, I've given you a quote from uh, David Cloud even, that until the 1800s, there were a lot of things people did not understand about prophecy. That, that is hogwash, that's a Greek word, hogwash. That is hogwash in the fact that God revealed truth. For, for them to say that you can't understand it until 1948 Israel and all those kinds of things, it's adding something to Scripture, but they're emphasizing knowledge that only certain individuals can know. That's exactly what Satan wants to emphasize. You're going to know good and evil if you eat of this fruit. That's, what, that's why God doesn't want you to have this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto... Notice, they're like sharing this, this new knowledge with others as well, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, I want you to notice here uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We saw this last week, and I've actually been... Uh, Thinking about this passage a little bit more, in in light of this, what I just said, um, I I want you to think about all of the religions that have these extra-biblical requirements and all of that. My wife and I were uh, commenting, visiting briefly last week after I emphasized the doctrines of devils and everything. And I want to point out something here. I even did a little bit of an extra look on this as to how far-reaching this, this statement is in regard to, scripture, or in regard to our culture in light of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. How do you know we're talking about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot, with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. I'm thankful for the beef heart we had, beef roast that we had for lunch. And I'm thankful for meat. I thank God. Grass-fed beef. There we go. For it is sanctified by the word of God. I thank God for it. But here's what I want you to think about. This statement commanding to abstain from meat. Now, I gave the illustration last week of Catholicism, Fridays, you know, during Lent and all that. But uh, I was also reminded of some of the monastic uh, orders, I should say. The monasteries, some of them would have a a vegetarian diet. They would not eat meat. So then, obviously, Hinduism. There's uh, 400,000, I think I saw an estimate, Hindus, at least, that are totally meat-free. There are some who call themselves lacto-vegetarians, you know, they drink milk or whatever. But also Buddhism, all these vegan diets that are so common today. Again, India has an estimated 400 million vegetarians out of, out of the total that, that limit at least meat eating. Also, I, did not, I was not aware of this, but Orthodox Christianity, they abstain from animal products about 200 days a year. If you want to understand what Orthodox Christianity is, it's basically Greek Catholicism. It's, it's, uh, orthodoxy is, is the split between the Roman Catholic Church and, and uh, basically the East and West you know, Roman Catholic system. So I, I wasn't aware of that. 200 days a year, they do not have animal products. Judaism, of course, they have kosher diets. And um, there, there are many pushing for a pre-flood diet, again, in Judaism. Islam, they have their halal diets. Uh, there's also, I was reminded of this as I was doing some reading, Seventh-day Adventism. Ellen G. White emphasized vegetarian diets. 
Uh, so you think about all these religions. Jainism, primarily in India in that area, uh, they, they teach nonviolence to all living things. So they, they, they won't eat you know, cow or anything. That's why there's more cows, you know, there's so many rats and cows, alive, you know, they're never killed because you might kill an, a relative. Sikhism, Zoroastrianism. Here's some examples uh, that I uh, came across as well. Dr. John Kellogg. Have you ever heard of his name before? How many of you have eaten cornflakes? Dr. John Kellogg was a vegetarian. I was not aware of that. How many of you have ever heard the name Mr. Rogers? It's actually Reverend Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He was a vegetarian. How many of you have ever heard of the name Reverend Sylvester Graham? If you've ever eaten a graham cracker, you've heard of his name. Graham crackers. Uh, in fact, um, I remember uh, my study on, on uh, Charles Finney uh, about a year ago, I guess it was. Uh, he was uh, Charles Finney promoted that and required that in their college for a while, so-called Bible college. Another one that was, I thought was interesting, as a reminder, Pastor George, uh, I think his name is Malkmus. I've never heard of his name. How many of you have ever heard the term hallelujah diet? That's also a vegetarian diet. What I'm illustrating and emphasizing is how much of this has come into churches. Hallelujah diets were very popular for quite some time at least. All of this stuff is, is that's what the Bible says. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, for commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received. God is the one who said after the flood you can now eat meat. God is the one who instituted that. God is the one who told Peter, what I've said is cleansed, called out not unclean. Uh, as, as we, again, as we think about these things, Satan, the angel of light, emphasizes knowledge. All of this knowledge. And I believe that's what happens in relation to the gospel as well. I want you to know some of you, uh, Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. I want to show you something here. And then we'll get back to, um, to the gospel part of this. Again, I emphasized in the Sunday school hour today, first hour, that there are many who teach that, there are more than, that there's more than one gospel presentation for the different ages of time. In fact, that's a, that's a key thing, a part of dispensationalism, when I mean, we really understand it, because there's different tests, tests for man in each, seven, each of the seven dispensations, if you believe there's seven, some believe there's nine, so there's even differences with that. But notice with me Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But notice this statement, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first, first resurrection. So are there two first resurrections? I want you to think about what I'm, what I'm presenting here. So are there two first resurrections if there's a pre-trib rapture? Notice very clearly, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Notice there's only two resurrections emphasized here. The first resurrection will be complete by the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So let me ask you, think about this. If the rapture 
occurs before the tribulation, capital T, why does the first resurrection include those who did not worship the beast? Are you catching what I'm asking here? Notice again verse 4, or did you miss it? The word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Those are the ones who are raised in the first resurrection. So again, the question I'm asking, if the rapture occurs before the tribulation, why does the first resurrection include those who did not worship the beast, his image, or receive the mark of the beast? Very good question, I believe. It's something that is not answered in dispensationalism. I, I know for a fact because I was in it, and I taught it for 30 years, as I've already said. Now, as far as this tribulation, so-called, having a different gospel, I, I want to emphasize something here from John Walvoord, Dallas Theological Seminary. He's, he's one of the key dispensationalist uh, teachers. Of course, he knows the truth now. He's in eternity. But here's this statement, that the basis of the judgment of the nations is how they treat the Jews during the tribulation is evident by Jesus' words in Matthew 25, verse 40. We, I've shown you this before. There's only two groups, not three. There's Jesus' brethren, obviously believers, according to Hebrews. He's not ashamed to call them his brethren. And there's the sheep and the goats. There's only two groups. There's not three. There's not three. We must understand that. The basis of the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25, is how they treat the Jews during the tribulation. It's evident by Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 40. Christ's brethren don't consist of all people indiscriminately. Is that true? Or have we been so deceived we don't even see that that's deception? Hebrews, we've studied Hebrews. He's, not, he's therefore not afraid, to, ashamed to call them his brethren. We're not, a, we're not the brethren of Christ. Remember what Jesus said. Well, your mother and brethren are called. No, oh, who's my mother? Who's my brethren? He says, on these who had gathered, they're my mother. They're my brethren. Are we totally missing what Jesus said? Well, it's only Jews. No, they were Galileans. This was in Galilee. Again, listen to that statement. It is evident by Jesus' words. Christ's brethren don't consist of all people indiscriminately. Why, John Walvoord, were you not one of Christ's brethren? Were you not a believer in Christ? In the Great Tribulation, G, capital G, capital T, there's nothing like that in the Bible. We, we twist Scripture. In the Great Tribulation, Jesus' people on earth will be the Jews. In Matthew 25, 42 and 43, he is referring to the persecuted Jews and Jewish proselytes of the Tribulation period. Absolutely nothing there about that. Nothing mentioned about Israel, none of that. He just says, my brethren. During the tribulation, God will regenerate Israel and 144,000 Jewish evangelists will preach the gospel of the kingdom. Antichrist will come to power, rule with cruelty and so on. The people of the earth will have a choice of whether to help the Jews or curse them. Similar to the choice they had during World War II under Hitler's regime. So let me ask you, based on the statement I'm going to read for you in just a moment. Were the Protestants... Were the people in Germany saved because they helped the Jews in World War II? Absolutely not. But evidently that's true based on what he's going to say. Listen carefully to what John Walford says. Jesus will judge the people of the nations on the basis of their treatment of persecuted Israel. Those who, uh, those who um, do this type of thing during the tribulation apparently will be proclaimed as sheep. How do you become a sheep? 
by believing in the shepherd. Apparently, those who helped the Jews in the tribulation period are going to be declared sheep whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not. Is that salvation by works? Sounds like it to me. Peter Ruckman. He says there's going to be a work salvation during the tribulation. Again, these are, I don't know, John Walford wasn't a King James only, but there's plenty of King James only preachers who are repeating this stuff. Peter Ruckman had something, again, he knows the truth, he's in eternity. What to do in case you miss the rapture? And, and, and this, this, is, this is something that was repeated by a, a guy down in Florida, uh, somewhere else in Florida. He has a, a dispensationalist ministry on, online and everything. Uh, they don't have a church, but they have some online thing, you know, that everybody can join. But here's, here's, here's what Peter Ruckman said to do in case you miss the rapture. Number one, don't get excited. Number two, start working your way to heaven. Number three, don't take any mark or any number. Number four, get fanatical. Number five, support the Jewish people. I'm going to give you his explanation of that. Whatever you do, don't assist the Holocaust because the Lord will judge anyone who stops the Jews from escaping. Always help the Jewish people go against the government, go against against established religion, be willing even to sacrifice yourself and your family to save the lives of the Jews because they are God's people and he gave them his blessing. So no matter how much pressure you are under, put under, never hurt a Jew, your own soul depends upon it. That is works salvation. Another statement. You have to do all the things explained above, and you must do them quickly and thoroughly if you ever hope to obtain salvation and be accepted by God. Peter Ruckman, King James only. Another statement. The original plan of salvation, plan of salvation is in quotes, was pure works. Did you hear what I just said? This is, this is a King James only preacher. He was a King James only preacher. The original plan of salvation was pure works, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they weren't sinners yet, so that's why God gave them Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And in the millennium, the last plan of salvation is again pure works, Revelation 22, 14. Contrary to every immature, milksop, Baptist baby in your town or city, Genesis 3.22 corrects the kiddies. He was not very nice in some of his words, wording either. So, uh, Here's something else Peter Ruckman said. Here's, here's the statement that I mentioned this morning about the book of Acts. The book of Acts consistently presents the same keys, the same plan of salvation. It does if you are, that's, that's a statement in quotes, It does if you are as blind as blind Bartimaeus on a weekend drunk, just as blind as a bat backing into a blizzard. There are six plans of salvation in the book of Acts as God continued to reveal more light on the gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20, verse 24, which was not revealed to Peter. It was revealed to Paul, Galatians 1 and 2. Peter himself testifies to Paul's plan of salvation in Acts 15, 11. Read it. I said, read it. Read it or shut your big tongue wagon blabber mouth. And then he lists six different gospels that he found in the book of Acts. That is, was a King James only preacher who says there's six different plans of salvation in the book of Acts alone. That's confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. There's a lot of confusion in this teaching. Something else he said two ruses. 
resorted together are, uh, 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 are to refer to um, Abraham, who was not under the law, and David, we saw this in Romans 4, remember, and David, who has cho- chosen exception to the law. So, in other words, he has his multiple plans of salvation, but there's, there's different exceptions. No, that, that's inconsistency. Listen to this statement. Those silly blank blanks actually teach that salvation is the same in the church age, the tribulation, the millennium, and the Old Testament. You never get a more gullible, blind, deceived bunch of Bible-rejecting apostates in your life. They do not believe one verse in the Holy Bible, A.V. 1611, if it offends them or if it is incomprehensible to their cloned, programmed, isolated mentalities. Who has the cloned, isolated mentalities? Peter Ruckman, who's repeating Schofieldism and Darbyism. I have some listeners, some things I've done study on as far as John Nelson Darby. He, he was probably a Freemason. He used Freemason terms. And yet he's the one we base all, he's, he's the father of dispensationalism. Another statement from a King James only preacher, Peter Ruckman. A Baptist who teaches that Old Testament salvation before and under the law and tribulation salvation and millennial salvation are identical to New Testament salvation is, by any set of scriptures quoted from any translation of any version of the Bible, a viable heretic. That's what he just called me. He has denied three-fourths of the scriptures at one lick. How do these pitiful, Bible-perverting Baptists alibi their sin? How did you do it? He's understood the reality of the truth now. Another statement. Whenever you hear any heretic say that men are saved in the Old Testament by looking forward to the cross, and after, in the, after the New Testament by looking back to the cross, you are dealing either with a lazy preacher or a stupid preacher or a crooked, lying fool. Boy, he's pretty kind in his words, isn't he? Now, he was an heretic. In fact, based on what God said in his word, Peter Ruckman was not saved. Can we stop repeating all the lines that we've been told and start repeating what the Bible says? Peter Ruckman was not saved based on what my King James Bible says. Evidently, not Peter Ruckman's. Here's a contradiction. This is from Peter Ruckman, a contradiction of the things that he taught. He also said this. Every man and woman who is counting on their righteousness to save them has pitted their righteousness against the righteousness of God. Do you know what, uh, what you have said to God? You have said to God, I know that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. But personally, I think that prayer and good deeds can make me just as good as Jesus Christ. Listen to this statement. When Christ made that payment for sin on Calvary's cross... That payment extended from before Genesis 1-1 until after Revelation 22. So which is it, Peter Ruckman? Which is it? He just contradicted the, same, the, the very things that he, he had taught elsewhere in all of his books. Notice with me, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. I, I want you to see this again. This is not me. This is not preacher B. This is Paul writing the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If anyone says there's more than one way of salvation, guess what happens to them? Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the, into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, again, Paul included himself, angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have, we have preached unto you, let him be, what? 
What's the word? Accursed. I, I, I'm sorry to, to help people see this, but Peter Ruckman is in hell today based on what Paul just said. He said there's six plans of salvation just in the book of Acts alone. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say it now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. This is why I said earlier, it is better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. I've, I've, I've said conservatively, 75% of Baptist churches today preach a form of dispensationalism. That's a conservative estimate. I, I believe it's probably more like 90%. I, I am actually thankful that some things online have, have attracted attention, so I'm learning about more and more Christians and churches that are teaching something other than dispensationalism. I, I'm not talking about those who hold covenant theology reformed and all that. But, but here, here's the reality. In fact, there's more and more reformed churches that are teaching dispensationalism as well because it's bled over in there. Here's what I want you to understand. Um, notice with me, Acts, we're almost finished, Acts 20, verse 28. Very familiar passage. I want you to see something here. I, I'm going to preface this statement by saying this. When I've started teaching some of this stuff, this tr- these truths, probably about two years ago, I have, as a preacher, been experiencing more personal attacks on my ministry for the Lord than probably any time in my ministry. Somebody doesn't like what I'm preaching. What have I ever preached contrary to this book? Like all the reformers, show me. What have I preached contrary to this book? What I've done is I've shown you what they teach and we've compared it with what the Bible says. So let me ask you, when they have no Bible, when they, when they have their personal attacks on this preacher, they're not attacking me, they're attacking the truth of the Word of God. Notice it says in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which, I notice it's not an attack on this preacher, it's an attack on the Holy Spirit. It's an attack on the Holy Ghost. I I brought to a preacher's attention in this area. I brought to their attention that we are not in agreement as churches because they do not preach repentance. I could not find the word repent or repentance in their doctrinal statement. I told them, I said, I, I I cannot in good conscience give a commendation for your church. You got a mute back? Thank you. Thank you for your, your letter. Do, do we not believe repentance is, is a Bible doctrine? Amen. Apparently, apparently, it's not important to others in this area. We have a doctrinal statement that says repentance is a requirement, a part of salvation. It's there for a reason. Notice this is an attack on the Holy Ghost who makes this man an overseer of the church. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. This is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As long as we stay true to this book, we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, very, we veer from this, and guess what? The Lord's going to deal with this church. He's going to deal with the preacher of this church. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So let me ask you, if this preacher is preaching from this book right here, King James Bible, and not using men's words to interpret this King James Bible, let me ask you, if somebody is trying to draw you away from the the preaching of the Word of God, is that not what this verse is talking about right here? Come on over to this church. How many times have I warned this church? And I have people, I'm learning of people who are considering going to churches that do not preach repentance. I have preached entire messages on repentance. Is doctrine important? I'm going to say it again. This is not an attack on this preacher. This is an attack on the word of God. And guess what? God takes that pretty seriously. He's He's magnified his, his word above all his name. Yep. To draw away disciples after them. If somebody comes to you and says, why don't you come to such and such church? Stop listening to them. Amen. They don't have the truth of the word of God. I've checked out their doctrinal statements. Stop listening to error. Why? Because it says in verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. There is a spiritual battle going on. Notice 3 John. Not just of this preacher, but of the preaching of the word of God. Again, I, I say this. If they cannot take the Bible and show me where I'm wrong, then who is wrong? 3 John. Verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth prating against us with malicious words. I've defined these words for you before. It's words we don't always use. Prating means to talk much to little purpose. (laughs) That's very interesting. Malicious means harboring ill will, or enmity without provocation. Prating against us with malicious words. My spirit is grieved in the spirit of Hebrews 13. God has given me the duty and the responsibility of watching over souls. And when I hear souls are listening to people trying to draw them away from this church, it it, it grieves my spirit trying to draw them to a church that I know does not have the truth. Their own doctrinal statement says it. Prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. He's a self-appointed leader. Beloved, follow not that which is evil. God calls that kind of thing evil. But that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. I, I, I think of, we, we've made C.I. Schofield preeminent over, over scripture. 
How many times have I emphasized? Here's what Schofield says. Here's what the Bible says. And I still, we still have people who end up walking away from the preaching of the truth for Schofield teaching. We also have emphasized, focused on the Antichrist more than Lord of glory. The book of Revelation is not about the Antichrist. Amen. It is about the Lord of glory. Revelation 19.10, the spirit of prophecy of Jesus is Jesus. Notice me, Psalm 110. Again, I, I told you I'm kind of tying both two lessons together here this afternoon. Psalm 110, I, I'm emphasizing there is a spiritual battle going on. We need to wake up to it. We need to wake up because Satan, as a subtle serpent, is trying to draw people away from the truth of the word of God to a compromised church. It's all around us in this area. Psalm 110, notice verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit, sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This was, this was a, I kind of brought to my attention with an article that I was reading. But that article emphasized, sit until. Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. There is a spiritual battle going on. The Lord of glory is seated on the right hand of God the Father, and he's going to be seated there until he makes his enemies his footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. That sounds like Revelation 19 to me. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the same thing. He's going to be seated until he delivers the kingdom up to his father. I'm just going to say, Paul was not afraid to name names. Lincoln Baptist Church is the church I've been speaking of. You might as well throw your Bible away. If somebody considers Lincoln Baptist Church, you might as well throw your Bible away because you're not going to hear about repentance from wickedness in order to be saved. Lord, help me. Lord, you know my heart. My heart has been grieved for days, yea, even weeks. How much labor I've poured into understanding thy word to preach and proclaim it here. God help me as a preacher to stay true to thy word. God, I pray. I pray our people will have a true conviction as we end this series. Have a true conviction about what the King James Bible teaches. Not just say that we are. King James only, but actually believe it and obey it. 
I think of Colossians 1.28. Paul emphasized warning and teaching every man. Warning and teaching. Help us to be discerning in these last days. To stop listening. The so-called King James only teachers and preachers who will twist Scripture, perverting and corrupting Scripture, Paul says. Many are doing that. Not just say that they're King James only teaching error, Lord. They only say it, they're teaching error. In Jesus' name, amen.